you know, I was at an investing seminar recently with a company that I'm working with. And one of the speakers at the seminar for the company came to me and said that he had never been able to have a conversation with someone who could break down Bitcoin simply enough for his taste. Like he wants someone to be able to explain it to him like he's five and have it make sense. And his theory is that if you can't take something complicated and break it down to explain it to someone simply, then you don't know it well enough. And if you don't know it well enough, then how can I take your advice about it? And I think that's very fair. I've thought about this guy a lot. And I thought about what he said to me. And I, you know, I gave at the time, I, I gave my best five-year-old sales pitch of Bitcoin. And he actually said it was, you know, one of the better ones that he heard. And, you know, I appreciated that. He actually gave me a shout out in front of the whole room when he was up giving his own presentation about it. And I appreciated that too. I was recently doing another podcast and I accidentally answered his question in a way that I hope that he will appreciate. I'm going to send him this and we'll see what he says. Bitcoin made super simple, incredibly simple. Bitcoin is just old school money done in a new and better way. That's it. That's all it is. You don't need to talk about all that other stuff. I mean, Bitcoin is incredibly complicated and it is incredibly diverse in the ways that it's going to change the world. It's complicated in the way that it functions and how it functions and why all the aspects of that are very important. It's complicated in the sense that our current monetary system is incredibly complicated and Bitcoin is trying to fix at least some of it. But what it is when it comes down to like the meat of it, it's just money. It's money the way money used to be, not the way money is today. And it's done in a modern way. All right, so that's the, the quick version. Let me give you the longer version. Let me explain what I'm talking about. Gold has been the human form of money for recorded history. I mean, going back at least 5,000 years, there is recorded history about gold being used to trade for goods and services. Now, gold's not the only thing we've ever used. We've used lots of stuff. And I talked about this in another podcast as well, so I'm not going to go into it too much. But, I mean, we've used obsidian, we've used copper, we've used silver, we've used everything, right? And there's plenty of problems with those other objects being money. Now, anything can be money, but there are certain aspects of money that are really important. Again, a thing, another thing I've covered in another podcast, but I'm going to go over it real quick. For something to be a good money, it needs to retain value through time. We don't use water. If we used water and evaporated, oh, well, that's a pretty terrible money. I like to say tobacco leaves because that was used for a while. And tobacco leaves actually can store for a long time if you control them well. But when, you know, when you're using them as a currency and you're bringing them to the market and you're exchanging them, they get roughed up pretty good. So that doesn't make a great money. Another thing that gold is, is really good at is it's hard to get. It's really important for a good money to be hard to get. If we used rainwater as money, it would be a terrible, terrible money. It'd be terrible because in some parts of the world, everyone would be loaded rich and their money, their rainwater would have no value because everyone's got a ton of it. 
And then other areas of the world, like where I live in Las Vegas, everyone would be dirt poor and that money would be incredibly valuable. And maybe we could use it in Las Vegas. But then when somebody comes from Mississippi or from the Northeast, where there's ample supply of water all times, or a rainforest, they come visit us in Vegas and they have strapped on their back a hydro flask or a, they have a camel pulling a, a tank of water and they're billionaires where we come from, but where they come from, they're worthless because everyone's got a tank of water. So you can't use something like that. You have to use something that is basically scarce for everyone, generally around the planet. That's why, you know, those uh, significant cultures in Africa that used these little glass beads. And because of the technological development at the time, uh, creating these glass beads and obtaining these glass beads was very difficult for the local cultures. So it worked great as a money until Europeans started showing up and they realized, oh, you guys use this glass bead? Well, when I go home, I can make a ton of these for like nothing. Making glass beads with European technology is easy at the time. So they'd sail home. They'd bring whatever trinkets they got from Africa. They'd sell them to whoever, and they'd buy boats of glass beads. And then they'd go back to Africa, and they'd exchange this money for whatever they wanted. That decimated the local economies. It pushed huge portions of Africa into poverty because their money was flooded. The debasement of their money was so extreme that they couldn't afford to, to have any kind of like exchange anymore because Europeans came in with more quote unquote money than what they had in their current economy and they bought up everything for free because the glass beads for the Europeans was worthless. That is a big contributing factor to what eventually became the slave trade. People like to credit, for lack of better words, local African cultures for selling each other to the slave trade. Like that somehow justifies anything of this. Like this isn't a political podcast. I'm not trying to get into whatever. I'm just talking about the economics of the situation. The reason why these cultures were largely in this position where they were so desperate that they would sell each other their neighboring tribes or people from their own tribe as slaves is because it was the only form of currency that they had because their currency was so badly debased by foreign interests that their way of life was destroyed. I don't know why nobody ever talks about that. I'm bringing this up because when you, and it's relevant to today, right? We're not worried about slavery, or at least not in the context of this conversation. But the point is, that you can decimate a culture by debasing its currency so extremely that people can't afford to live anymore. For the last 50 years, we have had no hard money standard, and we have been printing fiat money, which is unbacked by any like real asset, continuously. That's why the dollar has continued to lose value. It's lost 95 plus percent of its value since we came off the gold standard. That trend is going to continue. It's only accelerating now. Between the countless wars that we've been in in the Middle East, between inflation due to debasement to pay for those wars, also COVID, also all these ex extravagant spending bills, 
and this isn't like a one administration, this is every administration has done this. The government is unable to have the fiscal responsibility to only spend what taxpayer income is. If you can't maintain your spending to be with within what your input is, you have two options. Well, most of us only have one option. You go into debt. Spend money you don't have because you promise that you'll have it later. Well, how well does that work for the average person? Generally not that well. Unless you can figure out how to take that debt and turn it into more income. You know, like taking out a mortgage on your house, right? You can't afford a whole house, but you can afford the payments and you'll pay them off eventually. And the hope is that the value of that house will go up over time faster or greater than the amount you are spending on this debt because the debt has a price. Well, because the U.S. government is the Federal Reserve currency, it has another option. Its other option is it prints more currency, creates more quote-unquote money, and it uses that to pay for goods and services, largely bills or pay off debt or whatever. It also has the subsequent side effect that all of the U.S. dollars around the world, since we're the global reserve currency, every central bank, almost every central bank in the world has U.S. dollars on its balance sheet, all of those dollars become less valuable. So we're actually exporting our inflation to every country on the planet. So the 10% or the, sorry, the 8.5%, formerly 9.1% inflation that we are feeling here at home, every country around the planet is also feeling because their local balance sheet is losing value just like we are, just like our savings are. So anyways, back to sound money, right? That doesn't happen with sound money. When you have sound money, when the dollars are actually tied to gold, you can only spend what you have. You can't just print more money to pay for stuff if you don't have the gold to back it. So what happens when, when you do that to governments? Well, one, they can't just spend frivolously. Two, the whole idea of war changes. You can no longer spend trillions of dollars on war unless your people support the war and they are willing to pay the taxes. That's why this whole thing started. This whole thing started because in World War I, countries couldn't afford to keep war going. The people didn't support it. They, wouldn't, they, they couldn't pay enough in taxes to maintain the war. But the powers that be were unwilling to just call it. I'm, I'm not saying this is a right, wrong, or indifferent decision. I wasn't there. But trench warfare was incredibly slow and incredibly expensive. So when countries could no longer afford it, they had to temporarily, quote unquote, remove themselves from their hard money standard, the gold standard for the most part. Some were on the silver standard, but you know. So that way they could print enough money to continue to pay for the war. And you know what? We'll just deal with the inflation later. And the idea is we'll go back on the gold standard later. Now, the tie between the gold and, you know, in, in that example, the pound would have had to have been different pre-war and post-war. But you could have gone back onto a gold standard and kind of stopped the bleeding, for lack of better words. Now, this has happened multiple times throughout history where countries were on the gold standard. And, you know, they knew that the gold standard was important because countless other times when you know, what you want to talk about Rome, you want to talk about ancient China. There's plenty of examples in history where gold was either diluted or disconnected from uh, 
and inflation went rampant. It happens every single time because people, people are valuable. So you come off the gold standard, the intention is to go back on the gold standard. Come World War I, most of the world, not all, but most of the world came off the gold standard. And after World War I, because Europe had been so badly devastated, basically an agreement was made with the United States. The United States, you take all of our gold. You hold it for us. Remember Fort Knox being a big deal? Nobody talks about that anymore. You take all of our gold and you hold it for us. And instead, we'll take dollars. You promise us that your dollars will be continued to be tied to that gold going forward. Therefore, dollars is on the gold standard. Our money will be backed by dollars. And therefore, if our money is backed by dollars and dollars is backed by gold, we are pseudo backed by gold. Gold standard lives on. And that was fine until like the 60s when the U.S. kind of just started printing more money than it had gold. But because the U.S. wasn't a big fan of audits and transparency, they didn't tell anyone about it. They didn't say, oh, you know, we have $100 billion of gold, but we have $150 billion of cash. They just kind of let people assume that your dollars were still actually backed one-to-one with gold, but they weren't. People started figuring that out, and people started freaking out. And by people, I mean countries. Countries like France and Germany wanted their gold back. And it put the United States in a ton of pressure because they realized that what was about to happen was a bank run situation. Same thing that happened in the Great Depression. Same thing that happened with this whole Terra Luna situation. Bank run would have sucked all the money out of the United States until there was no gold left. People would have still had dollars out there that were they were no longer capable of actually exchanging for gold as what you know said right on the dollar. It said, you know, this bill is good for blah, 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 exchanging gold. The United States would have gone bankrupt. They would have had zero credit worthiness. They would have had zero financial empowerment. So Nixon gets a lot of crap for a lot of reasons, rightfully so, coming off the gold standard being one of them, especially in the Bitcoin community. But I get it, because people before him screwed the system. If he didn't take us off the Bitcoin, excuse me, if he didn't take us off the gold standard, a bank run would have happened and the United States would have gone bankrupt. It would have happened, 100%. So for all the crap he gets, that action probably saved our nation from collapse, or at least incredible economic downturns, like worse than Great Depression kind of stuff. Now, in reality, all he did was delay the inevitable, because since then, it's not like we like saw our our problem and we're like, okay, you know, we're going to come off the gold standard, but we're going to get this fixed. And then that way we can go back on it and the economies can run normal again. No, we just embraced it. We embraced this new temporary crap of a system where future leadership could just continue to print more money to continue to spend bills, to spend on bills, excuse me. So that way they could accomplish all the things they promised in their campaign or not. Every president for the last like 40 years has spent more money than they've earned. And that's not, it's not really fair to put that on presidents. I mean, they, they have plenty of sway over that situation, but really it comes down to Congress, or at least it did for a long time. Now you could argue one way or the other. The point is 
that this country has a 50-year history of fiscal irresponsibility. It's not going to change anytime soon. I say this often. One of the biggest threats to Bitcoin, in my opinion, is that the, gold, that the planet goes back to a gold standard, a hard money standard. It wouldn't actually affect the Bitcoin network in any way, shape, or form. Like I said earlier, Bitcoin don't care. But it would make the need for Bitcoin far less, far less important. But that's not going to happen. Come on now. You really think anyone's going to do that? Of course not. So we talked about how money needs to retain value over time. We talked about how money also needs to be difficult to acquire so it doesn't get debased like the US dollar or like if we used rocks. The next thing I want to talk about is sound money also needs to be an effective medium of exchange. Now, this is where gold doesn't do a great job. I mean, we've used gold for 5,000 years. Like I said, obviously, it does an okay job. But it's not really convenient to use in either really small or really large quantities. Like I said, if you want to buy a pencil, how much gold do you need to shave off? Or, you know, if you want to buy Louisiana... How much, how many gold bricks? Oh, I gotta, I gotta put that on a cart or in a truck or whatever and drive it to wherever you're at. You know how expensive that is? Moving gold around is kind of a pain. That's why we made dollars. We made dollars as representation of gold because it's an easier way. It's a better currency for hard money. So Bitcoin takes all the best aspects of gold and then it also adds in the best aspects of dollars puts them together so we have a hard money with a truly capped supply at 21 million, which makes it even better as far as hard is concerned, as far as hard money is concerned, better than gold. Because it's not like, I mean, imagine if Elon Musk shot his little rocket ship up to the nearest meteor and came back down with, you know, a couple hundred tons of gold. What would happen to the price of gold? It would go through the, it would go through the floor. I mean, that's why we don't use diamonds as money, right? Because although diamonds are super expensive, we all know that it is largely a corporate scheme and there are huge warehouses of diamonds that are just sitting there waiting because if they flooded the market with diamonds, the value of diamonds will go to nothing because they're not really that rare, to be honest. So yeah, Bitcoin takes all the strengths of gold, removes its largest weaknesses, layer two solutions, turn it into an excellent currency. Which is why you can break all of that down to explain to somebody like they're five, Bitcoin is money. It's money done the old way, the way that works, but it's accomplished through a new mechanism, blockchain technology.